when the storm sirens go off. You ready to get yourself and your family down your storm shelter? Nah, man, not me. I opened up mine the other day. Grass clippings, dead spiders, a couple live spiders, a dead scorpion, live crickets were down there. Why would I have my wife and my family go down to that storm shelter? Can't even keep it clean. So what I decided to do, I called up StormCheck.team. They team up with local veterans to keep your storm shelter safe and clean. They offer their signature five-point service, which includes they get down there, they vacuum, they clean. Those dead spiders, grass clippings, live spiders, gone. It's sanitized. It's deodorized. They give you fresh water supply. Install a motion-sensored LED light. How brilliant is that? And they ensure that your shelter location is registered with your local emergency management office in your respective city, state, and town. Freaking brilliant. For the premium subscriber, you get to see them twice a year and you get a first aid kit. Give them a visit on their website, www.stormcheck.team. Get to know them. They're awesome. They're undefeated, just like your storm shelter will be. That's www.stormcheck.team. Stop being afraid of your storm shelter. Give them a call. Thank you so much for tuning into Defining Moments Podcast. We appreciate your feedback. We appreciate your time, the time that you took to listen to their guest and their story. Any feedback you have will be greatly welcome. Improvements, critical thoughts, please let us know. Be brutally honest because that's how we like it. Enjoy your day. Stay undefeated. Okay, welcome back to the Undefeated Defining Moments podcast located here in Project 3810 with our very special guest, radio talk show host, or radio talk host. Sure. On KOKC 95.3 FM, 1520 mm-hmm. AM. Right. Also a lobbyist, also a political consultant. I feel an accomplished. Doesn't matter. Chad Alexander, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, I look forward to it. So it's yeah. fine now. I'm on the other side of the microphone. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot easier to answer than ask. That's true, because I listen to you on my drive home, 4 to 6, thank on KOKC every day. Well, almost every day. I appreciate so, that yeah, very much. Absolutely. Before we get started, got a little swag for you. Oh. That's your bag. Thank you. We also heard that your daughter, Lily, yes. is in the studio. She's on spring break. Yes. So we got you a little something, too. Oh, I got something. That's nice. Of course. Thank you. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. I absolutely. appreciate that. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Do you want me to open it now or uh, oh. wait till I okay. Yeah, we can wait Yeah, she can open it. You can go open it. We can visit about uh, your life. How are things going with you today? You know, it's just, it's really, really hectic. Uh, yes. I'm getting older. I can tell. Uh, I'm 48. <laughs> I'll be 49 uh, after in June. we in session in May. Yeah. Uh, but this is probably the last session I'll do all three, radio and consulting and lobbying. Yeah. I'm not as young as I used to be, and I can right. tell right now. Right. Yeah. You were also a former GOP chairman committed for the yeah. state of Oklahoma. Yeah. How was, what was that like? Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, I mean, I did one term, my two years, um, and uh, I was uh, elected 
when I was 27 or the week after I turned 28. I can't remember the actual day election, <laughs> special election. Um, started out with five candidates. By the time we got to election day, uh, I'd had a majority of the committee endorse me, so I was the only one left yeah. standing and got elected. And uh, it was a really cool experience, though, because uh, my mom was very shy, but um, she and I used to watch the news together when I was a yeah. kid. I, I started. I got an interest in politics really early, yeah. and uh, I remember we'd go. I'd go home from school, you know, when I was sixteen, and and we'd sit in this love seat together, and and you know we're watching the news. And yeah. she was very very shy. She didn't want to public speak. Those type of things would, would terrify her. And she passed away in two thousand seven. But um, she had great political instincts. Great political instincts. That's where I really I got my political instincts from. Is my uh, mom. Okay. Uh, she was yeah much more involved in politics. Yeah, know, mentally and, and engaged. My dad, he's a commercial real estate broker, and so I would go when I was young. I mean, even before I was sixteen, when I was like thirteen, you know, we'd sit and you know we'd watch the news together and awesome. watch politics together, yeah. and it was really cool um, because I got elected and I was the youngest state chairman of the Republican Party that we've ever elected. Still this day, yeah. I always joke with Matt Pinelli's lieutenant governor yeah. that you know he was an old man because he was two years older than me when he got elected. <laughs> um, but for that two years, it was really great. I was really, really uh, glad my mom got to see it before she passed away. Yeah. You know, because yeah. she passed away young, at you know, a young age. Mm-hmm. And so I was glad she got to see that. Um, but for that two years, I mean, it was really fun because yeah. that was before you had Citizens United and a lot of independent expenditure groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so the state parties had a lot more uh, responsibility as far as raising money, mm-hmm. supporting candidates, recruiting candidates, getting Republicans elected. You have to remember, we were in the minority then. That was 2001 to 2003. Yeah. Um, and so we were working on creating the Republican majority. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. I mean, it was really, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I think you go in, you do the job, you do it the best you can, and then you move on. Sure. And, but for me, it was great. I mean, we had a really professional staff. I hired someone that was just out of SNU at the time. Her name was Julie Bly then. Yeah. She was the press secretary, and uh, Aaron Curry was my finance director, and did a great job. Trevor Worthen, who's you know, been in politics down in Oklahoma for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hired him as my political director when I used 21, 20 at that time. Wow. And uh, so I was the oldest person on in the room, yeah. and I and I was 27. But we had a great time, and yeah. we were we were really efficient. And it was it was one of those things I, I look back on fondly. It's not one of those th- jobs you could take and stay forever, but. Yeah. I would say that I probably enjoyed that two years of my career as much as, as almost anything. Uh, you know, the time I worked for J.C. Watts from 94 to yeah. then was also an exceptional period of time in my life. I, I, I don't I don't think I would be where I am today if I wouldn't. J.C. Watts would have hired me when I was 20 years old wow. and started on that campaign. And uh, in that primary, we did 11,000 miles. And eventually, I'll probably write a book that will have my 11,000 miles with J.C. Watts to be a chapter in that. That um, would be awesome. Learned so much. And... Uh, what a mentor mm-hmm. um, and a man of character. I mean, he's the same guy. You know, he said the 1996 Republican National Convention speech, his definition of character was doing what's right when nobody's looking. Mm. J.C. Watts is the same guy at home, in the car, in Target, <laughs> or that you see on TV. And and that's kind of the way I am on radio. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to give you the same answer. When people recognize me and ask me a question at on cue, I'm going to give them the same answer they're going to get the radio or the same answer I'm going to give somebody at the Capitol. Sure. And so sure. Uh, I think that authenticity is important. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that I learned that from him and, and the four campaigns I was with him. 
That's awesome. You you speak about authenticity. Do you feel like that's something that's missing in today's modern society, 2022, with social media, Instagram, Twitter? Yeah, you know? come on. I mean, um, that's that's something, I, you know, and I think uh, people of my age, I think, can deal with it a lot better than kids. You, I, I, you know, you really worry about the kids. And yeah. if you see it with, like, Instagram and the, fi- and the filters with the pictures and the things that are called <laughs> social media, you know, nobody puts it on there when they're, you know, having a bad day or they just got fired or they found you know they put the they put the impression of their life they want you to perceive they have on social media and you have the filters with the pictures we talk about you know uh young ladies that have started having you know eating disorders Mm. and depression and things like that because comments someone may make about their picture or their eyes and yeah you know there's a lot of great things about technology but there's a lot of negatives to it too yeah and uh you know i've said this you know if we would have you know social media when i was probably a teenager growing up doing stupid things i probably would not have been state chairman of the republic Party yeah. when I was 27 because <laughs> they never would have voted for a guy that did that when he was you know 17 years old yeah yeah and so and i think that's the thing is i mean it's kind of out there right? and a lot of people hold things against you forever even if you do something dumb when you're 16 17 years old so sure. i think for you i i could deal with it and, and you could deal with it probably better than than the kids growing up right now they're yeah. dealing with it because we didn't have all that when i was growing up sure sure yeah, yeah. Use the word negativity. How do you deal with negativity? Whether it's through social media or even on your radio show. I have to break away. Uh, mentally, there's times I have to break away. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to follow the news when you're in my business. Um, because I'm doing radio, I have to follow it even more than I normally would. Because for a two-hour show, I'll probably have to do at least an hour and a half of prep. Right. And uh, what's that? That's sorting through stories that I think are relevant interesting timely that people will want to engage in mm. and so um but if you look at it uh, I, I gave a, the keynote speech for the dream center last year for the fundraiser uh, it was about a year ago right now and uh, a study had just came out and it looked at uh, western european media and the united states media and you'd find in western european countries the news was about half positive half negative mm-hmm. uh, in the united states it was 92 negative eight positive so if you just think about that, if 90% yeah. of the information you're taking in your head is negative and 8% is positive, you're going to end up being negative if you sure. don't break that break away when you right. need to. And I think uh, sometimes I'm not good at maybe realizing the balance of when I do need a break, yeah. uh, but sometimes I'm very good at realizing, hey, you need a vacation, you need to stay away, and when my wife and I travel, <laughs> usually... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll put my cell phone in the safe early in the morning. Yeah. Go eat breakfast and it stays there and then check it at night. Yeah. Um, and just get away and spend time with her. And we usually do that every year for at least six days, seven days, try to do it twice a year, Mm -hmm. uh, because it can get overwhelming, uh, because politics has changed so much. The polarization. Yeah. Uh, the personalization of attacks. Mm hmm. Um, Almost the criminalization of it. I mean, yeah. like, you know, we see people that are always trying to get their opponents indicted. Like, it's it just, it's very, very different. And I tell people, you know, I I think about what's going to happen 15 years from now because, you know, when I was coming up in the 90s, uh, the young Democrats and, the, you know, the college Republicans, we would, like, have barbecues. Mm. And 
even though we worked against each other in campaigns. Sure. I mean, Joe Dorman's a perfect example. Yeah. You know, he was a Democrat nominee for governor in 2014. And, you know, he and I came up around the same time. He's like a year or two older than me, I think. And, uh, uh, but we're, we're pretty close to the same age, but we were mm-hmm. in college at the same time. And, we're friends and i had the same job on the jc watts campaign as the republican nominee as he had with david perryman the democrat nominee mm-hmm. and uh yeah fortunately my side won uh <laughs> so i could work for the congressman uh and but we were friends and uh i uh, i've talked to a lot of college students and they don't talk about politics to each other mm-hmm. and if they and if they do and and they're on different sides they don't really they're not hanging they're not seeing the world that there's more to what is this because what is politics really it's about what your belief is yeah. of what the responsibilities of government are to society mm. okay that's really what we're talking about and now people are hating each other over if you disagree yeah about what the fundamental purpose of government is sure yeah we shouldn't uh we should be able to disagree disagree you know disagree agreeably and, yeah yeah and still be friends and i have lots of friends that aren't on my side of the political aisle but we still all love ou football and yeah. there's a whole lot of other things that we really have in common sure. and we just talk about those things yeah and yeah. i don't know if that's going to be the same way 15 years from now with the polarization we've seen that's interesting and i will take it to my friend he's late 30s and he's single and so he gets on these dating apps. Mm-hmm. But even these dating apps for the profile of the women is like if you voted for Trump or if you like this, then go ahead and swipe. I think swipe left is negative. <laughs> but you know, no pun intended. Right, right, yeah. but, but swiping left means, <clears throat> yeah, just pass pass on me because of your political beliefs. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I mean, to me, that really is. And obviously, yeah. you know, I'm not of the dating app way yeah. age. So, uh, in that point in time, that's me being older. But, you know, when I was asking a girl out in high school or college, her political affiliation never occurred to me. Right. Yeah. And I would never even thought to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. Why? I mean... Uh, you know, you have. Uh, I know a lot of couples that are in different parties that are married. Mm. They have different political. But I mean, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, man, if politics is that much part of your life, and I'm a guy that's been doing it professionally for 28 years, I'm yeah. telling you, it's too much a part of your life. Yeah, for sure. There's yeah. plenty of other things to do to enjoy life. Yeah, you know. I mean, you can't. I mean, if it's that much to you, I mean. Yeah. Because somebody has a different philosophy on the general purpose of government or how we should appropriate money, um, that they, you can't have a personal relationship with them. I, that's that's a foreign concept yeah, to me. It's different. I just isn't don't it? see the world that way. And I mean, a lot of that goes back to my faith. You know, I, yeah. my faith says, "Love my neighbor." Mm-hmm. You know, first love God, the second love my neighbor. Yeah, there's no exemptions on that. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter their religion. It doesn't matter nothing. I mean, right. it's just love the neighbor. There's sure. no exceptions to that rule. And yeah. I think the world would be a better place if, if people followed that. Yeah. Um, you just you do see a lot of anger out there. And yeah. I think uh, COVID really illustrated how far that went yeah. with uh, seeing the videos of people screaming at each other over masks. I mean, <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> like literally uh you know ended up in assaults and mm-hmm. you know you know physical sure. violence over yeah over over arguing about a mask and it just seems like a, a lot of hostility i try to be sure. a little bit more laid back than that i mean i'm i agree i'm not looking for trouble trouble's gonna have to find me yeah for sure for sure <laughs> I, I like to get along with everybody yeah i want to hold the door open i want to be friendly yeah uh, and just generally try to be a positive person in society. I think a lot of people get frustrated with things in their lives. Mm. Social media allows them a place to vent. So what they actually may be arguing about or uh, insulting somebody around social media may not even be what they're really upset about, but it's yeah. their outlet. It's their vent. It's interesting. And I think that's unhealthy. No, it's very unhealthy. I I coach boys competitive soccer, and I, I live my life. So what I'm saying is when there is pressure, I feel like your true character comes out mm-hmm. when you're under immense pressure. So how do you handle that pressure? How do you handle that stress? It kind of helps define a little bit of who you are. Yeah. Um, it's interesting being in the political world as long as I've been in it. Um, my wife and I were on vacation. <laughs> Uh, it was two or three years ago, I think, and yeah. uh, uh, I, I was just kind of feeling antsy, kind of feeling antsy, and, and she's like, you know, Chad, as long as I've known you, you're always, there's some kind of competition going on, whether it's a campaign, whether you're lobbying, whether something else, um, you've spent your whole life, you know, in political battles, you don't know what to do, and it's peacetime. Hmm. You start getting answers. You're, you're in your element if you know who's coming at you. you. You start feeling like you're waiting for another shoe to drop. You don't know what the fight is because you're almost always in one yeah. because of the nature of the business. It is an adversarial business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can be adversarial and still be uh, professional, uh, have integrity, and treat people well. Yeah. Um, and so, to me, I see it as a competition. I don't see it as as an enemy i see, I see uh people that i that i disagree with philosophically in elections as my opponents i don't see them as my enemy yeah and that there's a big difference a between those things yeah that's great yeah that's great earlier you were talking about 92 percent negative eight percent positive brings me back to one of your segments about negative political ads mm-hmm. and they had callers call in about We'll rewind all the way back to 2018 about Governor Stitt when he was in a runoff against um, Cornette. Right. And Cornette ran, or his campaign campaign Mm -hmm. ran an ad about Bull Stitt and all that. What are your thoughts on negative ads and how detrimental can they be? You know, I kind of, I've always called it comparison ads. Okay. Um, and, And the reason I do that is I think both sides try to present the best qualities about their candidate mm-hmm. and who they are to the voters. But the check is telling you what the weaknesses of the other side are. Sure. And when both sides do that, you do have a little bit more of an informal electorate. Um, yeah. Now, a lot of people will take things out of context and clip them and things like that. I'm not saying they're all fair. I'm not saying they're nice. Yeah. But this is what I love to tell people. Here's the thing about political consultants in this business. Um, when you quit changing who you vote for because you see a comparison ad, they'll quit running them. Mm. But as long as you can move 20% of the electorate yeah. in two weeks, they're they're not going away. Right. So is that the responsibility of the people putting the ads on, or is that the responsibility of the voters? If they truly don't like them, then why do you change who you're voting for? Hmm. 
Right. It's, I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah. And so, you know, if it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. I mean, if they did work, the campaigns wouldn't do it because, right. you know, when you sign up a campaign, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your client to help them win and do everything that's legal and ethical to do that. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Legal and ethical. Right. I like it. I'm with you. Because it's so interesting when that, in the polling, it was Cornette up and then Stitt was closing. And then when those commercials started airing, I felt like it became a tilt towards yeah. uh, Governor Stitt. People, and that's why I say you can't just, you have to be careful um, when you're on comparison ads. Yeah. Because they can backfire. And I've seen them <laughs> backfire quite often if they're not done right. And the thing is, they can even be true. And I remember seeing this in a race in 1996. Uh-huh. So we're going to go way back. It was, a, it was a state senate race. It was a Democrat incumbent. Uh, Trish Weed was her name at the time. And uh, or she had a Republican opponent. And he sent out a mail piece that I saw that was uh, a comparison piece. And it was on a vote that she had taken. And it was true. But it wasn't believable. Um, mm. And so, you know... That will, those type of things backfire. Yeah. I mean, even if it's true, if it's not believable, if the voter doesn't believe it, they will backfire on yeah. you. And so you have to be careful how you do it, and and make sure that you don't do it in a position that's going to backfire. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you have a competition, and you have a competition for who's going to be in office and be making the laws. Uh, people are going to take that quite seriously yeah. when when they evaluate that and both sides uh, and that's why you usually see uh, you know in, in big fields where everybody knows there's going to be a runoff you usually don't see negative ads until it gets to the runoff mm-hmm. because when you run a comparison ad your negatives are going to go up too the thing is yeah. you have to make sure you're moving the other person's negatives up higher yeah. <laughs> at a okay. much higher rate Gotcha. But if you have a multi-way race, if you're running a negative ad and or a comparison ad, and uh, their negatives are going up, but your negatives are going up some too, yeah. Voters may move to the third or fourth person mm. in that race. Wow. Because they're like, well, I don't like them because they ran it, but I don't like them because of what they said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and move to a third party. So that's why you usually see that when you know it gets narrowed down to two in a runoff. Yeah. You're a political consultant. What do you think happened in President Trump's campaign in 2020 that caused him to lose the election? I think there were a couple of factors, and uh, my wife was actually the chief of staff for Trump's 2020 re-election. So she was his battleground director in 2016 when he won, and she was wow. the chief of staff of the campaign when in 2020. Um, we spent about 18 months where she came home every other weekend, and then occasionally she could come home for a whole week. Wow! Uh, but I mean, you know, you're managing the real, you know, you're the chief staff for the re-election for the president of the United States, so you can't really do that from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, for that was a great, incredible honor at the time. Um, but mm-hmm. one, I mean. Look, Trump was not going to uh, be the darling of the media. We know that. Yeah. Um, that, that that was never going to happen. Right. But uh, yeah, I do think the uh, and I, I say this to a lot of people, but uh, the special rules because of COVID, we started putting these rules in place where mm. uh, states that normally you have to request an absentee ballot put in special rules to just mail out ballots to every registered voter. Yep. And a lot of states don't clean the rules. And mm. uh, surveys talk about this exceptional turnout you saw. Well, you had um, states put 
And honestly, uh, some courts have ruled that Secretary of State's violated the state election laws because they didn't follow the laws of the legislature by putting in emergency rules. Wow. You know, to yeah. change, you know, early voting and to change mail-in voting. And I'm not a fan of universal mail-in voting. You're, yeah. you're inviting fraud. Um, and you can see it where, you know, uh, an apartment complex in a competitive congressional district has 92% turnout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you see a ballot where, you know, people, you know, states that don't clean their voter rolls, you could have four ballots go to the same apartment because of the people that have, you know, you live there a year, you live there a year, you live there a year. Well, three people get a ballot milled to them yeah. and are registered there at one point yeah. in time. So that, I mean, that opens it up for questions. That opens up for people to say, okay, so you know when when you do those type of things and you, and you kind of change the rules in the middle of the game, mm-hmm. um, and and if you look at you know Democrats are much more heavily mail in voters than Republicans are yeah. normally nationally Republicans are more uh, election day voters. And so I tell people when they count the early ballots first, I mean you saw that in Congressional District Five. If you look at the mail in ballots, Kendra Horn was winning. Yeah, and then you look at early absentee voting all of a sudden everything narrows yeah on those you know in person early absentee voting days that we have yeah. then you get to election day and then bias starts coming yeah. up and then ultimately wins the election right so democrats vote heavier by mail and uh i think uh the changing of the rules like i said where you don't have to request a ballot i mean you know a lot of states have uh you know, no excuse absentee mail. Some people, other states have, you know, only certain people can vote by mail. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you change the rules in the middle of the game and you have a lot of third party organizations that are out there, um, it, it, I think that's why you saw such a huge turnout in the 2020 election was Interesting. the difference in the balloting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I wonder the mindset or psychology of, let's say, the, the Democrats doing a lot of mail-in versus election day well i mean i think a lot of it's driven by um the party and the and and uh, the organizations that they build the framework mm. they built uh they did democrats did a great job under obama understanding uh, you know, expanding their field program the republicans saw that and then really picked up on it and really expanded their field program mm. uh to the fact that i think republicans are kind of now ahead on organizing organizing and turning out wow um but obama's people did it really really well and uh, Republicans learned from that and then, you know, kind of built their own machine. And so I think it's just by nature of, you know, starting back with Obama, you know, they were mm. encouraging mail-in ballots, you know, get your ballots and have you voted. You're calling you because people that live in Oklahoma, we're not a swing state, okay? Presidential <laughs> campaigns, you'll see them in the primaries. Once primaries are over, they're not coming back because everybody knows the Republican nominee is going to carry the state of Oklahoma. Mm. Uh, a Democrat hasn't won a county in Oklahoma since, what, Bill Clinton? Uh, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's been a been while, while to win yeah. one county in a sure. presidential race. So <clears throat> voters here aren't used to it. But if you live in a swing state that is very competitive, you know, you get your door knocked. They find out who you're voting for or you get a call and they find out who you're voting for. And then you're going to get called. Have you mailed in your absentee ballot? Oh, you haven't mailed in your absentee Okay. And you'll get a call back. Have you mailed in your absentee ballot? Mm. Oh, you have mail in your And then if you didn't, then when early voting starts, have you early voted yet? And you're getting mail, you're getting phone calls, and even up on election day, they're calling to ask you if you voted yet. Yeah. People in Oklahoma haven't seen that with the intensity that it happens in other states. Uh, the swing states. Because they're the swing states. Because, you know, 
the map is whatever the candidates decide the map's going to be on their path to 270. Yeah. And those are the states they're going to focus on. And, gotcha. You know, Republicans aren't going to spend any money in California. Yeah. <laughs> Democrats aren't going to spend any money in Oklahoma. Yeah. We all know that. That's true. Yeah. That's true. We talked about 2020 and it being a quote-unquote COVID year, the nickname a lot of uh, folks have given it. What has 2020 taught you and how did you become better from it? I would say kind of the things we talked about earlier, like seeing the things on social media, people mm-hmm. literally getting into physical altercations over masks and horrible things that they were saying to each other. And then, you know, everybody's an epidemiologist. Um, <laughs> uh, and now they're all foreign policy experts. By yeah, the way. that's right. Um, they switched to, to their foreign policy PhDs now. Um, but the anger, the volatility, and, uh, you know, I guess probably when I was a younger man, I may have, have, have hit that, but uh, being older, I uh, I try to be as positive as I can. I don't, mm. I don't want to participate. I feel like uh, in society, you're trying to be part of the solution, you're trying to be part of the problem. Sure. Or you're trying to be part of the solution, you may not even know you're being part of the problem. Um, and I try to, to be a positive person. I think it... It gets really hard when you see that all that stuff, and then you know we're moving the bars. I mean, look what mm. look what's going on in New York City right now. Okay, uh, Kyrie Irving can go in to the arena, sit on the front row, hug every one of his teammates, but he can't play and he can't go in the locker room because locker right. room is considered his place of business. Right. So he can sit right behind them, hug them all, yep. but he can't play in the game because of a mandate. But he can play road games where they don't have mandates. Right. I mean, that may, where's the science in that? I mean, yeah. is the basketball have a weak immune system? I mean, <laughs> he's already out there with his teammates. He plays with them on the road. Yeah. This makes no sense. Right. And, and those are things that that I saw that in 2020, just the bar kept moving, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what we changed, you know, we started changing, we changed the definition of what a vaccine is. Yeah. Vaccine is mean you couldn't get something, not that you could get it, but you're not going to get a sick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or there's not as good a chance you're going to die. Yeah. We literally see you change the, de- the definition of what we consider a vaccine. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I think uh, the the Pfizer data on uh, five to eleven year olds didn't know this at the time, but now um, we saw just I think it just came out about two three weeks ago, twelve uh, percent efficiency rate. Yeah, five. So you're giving basically five to eleven year olds who, with this particular virus are virtually no risk. Mm-hmm. The flu is much more deadly to five to eleven year olds. Mm-hmm. We know that. Mm-hmm. And some vaccines do have side effects. For some, there's 12% effective. But when the government's going to prepay for a certain amount of vaccines, so they're yeah. free for every 5 to 11-year-old. Yeah. And I saw Pfizer CEO came out about two days ago and said, you may need a fourth booster. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm the CEO of a company, I get the federal government to order $170 <laughs> million from me. And they're free to people. 
<laughs> sure. You're going to need a sixth and seventh one, too. Uh, <laughs> my bonus is going up as the CEO every time we get another one. Of course we're going to do that. <laughs> so true. And so, I mean, I think those are the kind of things, just the changing. And I think people just felt like the goalpost got moved so much mm-hmm. to now. Like situation with Kyrie Irving now has people saying, going, this makes no sense. There's, there's no science behind this. Right. Right. And, and you know, we notice that, that we've kind of quit talking about that, but that came up in the polling numbers. Uh, Joe Biden's pollster on February 15th sent a memo to the DC, uh, to the Congressional Committee and the DNC and said, COVID's killing us. We, you know, this needs to go. I haven't seen Fossey in a long time. Hmm. That's true. Think about it. That's no, you're exactly right. So we're basing it on science, but it's political science. It's mm-hmm. the polling. Yeah. <laughs> Not the medical science yep. at this point in time. Right. Right. And I think that's when the independent voter, I mean, the Democrats are pretty polarized, they're gonna vote Democrat. Republicans are pretty polarized, they're gonna vote it's the really the independent voters are the big swing voters right now. Mm. Then that's what you're seeing in the numbers is the independents are very close to where the Republicans are right now, and the Democrats are way off from where the independents are right now. And mm. that's what the pollster was saying is the the COVID ma- yeah, people are done with this. Yeah, e- even in our friendly territories, they're done with this. In the swing states, they're really done with this, and yeah. we're coming up on an election. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to hear a lot more about COVID in the next yeah. year. That's that's interesting, especially with the independent voters getting closer to where the Republicans are. Because when you think about independence, you're thinking about, I am going to independently research on my own, gather the, the data, and let me think about it. Mm-hmm. And see what makes logical, common sense to me, maybe. <clears throat> yeah, and I think um, that's one thing that I think I have with Trump is you had almost wall-to-wall negative coverage about Donald Trump. And I think yeah. independence thought, okay, if he lose, if he loses and goes away, then you know, Joe Biden was gonna, you know, they campaign on we're gonna bring back professionals from a normal sea to Capitol Hill and and, you know, yeah. we're gonna work across the aisle. Well, we've kind of seen how that's went oh, yeah. since then. Yeah. And but I think with independence it it was well, you know, they hate, this media hates this guy so much. If he's just not around, then there's going to be some, you know, more continuity and normalcy. And we've seen that's not the case at all. Yeah. But I think at the time that maybe they thought, and I think uh, Republicans, I mean, if you've been around, I mean, there were a lot of questions about the 2020 election that were hard to answer. I mean, Donald Trump is the first incumbent who has ever lost, who got more votes in their second election than the yeah. first one. Yeah. Then he went up about 10 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you look at that and go, well, how did that happen? You know, I, and, but then we talk about the states. And like I said, I think, yeah. uh, I think the universe sending out ballots to everybody and all that stuff. It, I don't, I'm not into the voting machines and the, the things like yeah, that. Yeah. The things that happened happened before ballots ever got to mm. a lot of the election boards. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Shifting a little bit to being a lobbyist, what does a lobbyist entail? What's a functionality? Um, I mean, you're basically uh, up there to work to either pass or stop legislation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, uh, you have legislation that, you know, uh, can affect your clients and their industry no matter what it is. I mean, all sorts of different 
entities have lobbyists. I mean, there's a lobbyists in the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're up there, and your job is uh, to you know stop or pass legislation. And you know, it's uh, it's really a uh, a unique situation because uh, one, if you're going to be successful at it, you can never lie to a member of the legislature yeah. because if you do, they're going to tell their colleagues, and you have no credibility. That's true. And I've been doing it 20 years. I've seen people burn themselves right down to the ground in that building where they didn't have any credibility because they weren't being honest because they were trying to get a bill passed. You have to yeah. always remember there's another session, there's another, there's going to be another bill, there's going to be another session, there's going to be another year. You have to keep your integrity and your credibility. And and you can't lie to members. Now, they can lie to you. <laughs> they tell you they're going to vote one way and vote the other. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. And that's not going to be a problem. But uh, you can never lie to them. Yeah. And, you know, you advocate advocate for uh, uh, things that, that you're paid to do. Um, there's I've lobbied for so many different entities, whether it's University of Oklahoma, Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, the liquor wholesalers. I've 19 sessions now with the liquor wholesalers. Um, and so very familiar with the three-tier system, which I know everybody's really excited about. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the three-tier system, really. I mean, people think a lot about it. For I'm just oh, I know. sarcastic. Yeah, I was going to say, explain the three-tier <laughs> yeah. system. Right. three-tier <laughs> system, you have a manufacturer, a wholesaler, and a retailer. Okay. Um, after prohibition, the federal government says, hey, states, you have to regulate alcohol. Because, I mean, this is a peanuts. This is a product that yeah. can kill people. I mean, yeah. there's age limits on who can buy it. Um, and the three-tier system is the preferred system. I mean, in the majority of the United States, I think 66% of the states uh, use the three-tier system. Um, some states, people don't know this, own their liquor stores. Like mm. the, the, the state government actually owns the liquor store. Yeah. Um, but we have a the three-tier system here, and that's manufacturer, wholesaler, retailer. So we collect the taxes that are coming through, excise taxes, things like that, gotcha. that go through the state. And we know how much alcohol is here, where it's going, who's buying it, because uh, it is it's heavily regulated. There are yeah. tons of regulations on, on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's a, a lot deeper than what the general population thinks they know. Right. But but my, when someone about. runs for the legislature... Yeah. They come from different backgrounds, whether sure. they're teachers, whether they're ranchers, whether they're pharmacists, whether they're lawyers, whether they're doctors. Um, so many of the legislators, they've really probably never even talked about the three-tier system in their lives. So you want to talk to them about something they've never talked about yeah, in their lives. So yeah. you're explaining it. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then, you know, I've been offered lobbying contracts before with groups. I'm like, I... It's just against, I don't believe in the cause. It's against mm-hmm. my principle, sure. and, and so I've turned those contracts down. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've I've only really lobbied for things that uh, I've uh, either conceptually totally agree with, or it's a regulatory framework. You mm-hmm. know. Um, but yeah, there have been uh, because of my political ideology, there have been some things I'm like, well, no, I'm actually I wouldn't vote for that. I can't even try to sell somebody on voting for right. that because I don't believe it. Yeah, and, and I've turned those contracts down. That's cool. Yeah. That's honest. That's genuine, right? I mean, well, I'm not going to do a good job for you. Exactly. I have to do share responsibility. Yeah. If I don't even believe exactly. it, I don't know how I'm going to sell it. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to persuade someone. When I'm, I wouldn't even vote for it if I was there. Yeah. So I'd vote no. So Absolutely. I can't help. Yeah. And so just being honest about it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's and so, uh But it's very intense because that's just four months a year. But it's a shotgun start. Uh, you start in the 
the the bills that are Senate bills start the Senate House start in the House. You got four weeks to get them out of those committees. Then after those committees are done, then you get a couple of weeks to get them off the floor of the House origin. And then they switch sides if they are still alive. And then you're on a deadline for committees then. Yeah. And then you got to get to the opposite floor on a deadline. Yeah. And then we usually pass a budget and sign a die. <laughs> Do you hang out at camps off of 10th Street in Oklahoma City? Not really. No? Um, <laughs> because, you know, if you want to talk to somebody about something, uh, I don't want to go somewhere where we're going to know everyone in yeah, So exactly. everybody's going to stop by and say hi. I mean, it's not like a secret thing. It's just... <laughs> How are you going to have a conversation? You and I couldn't have this conversation we're having right now if yeah. every three minutes somebody we know stops and visits with both of us. Yeah. So you really can't talk about the topic very yeah. much of whatever you're trying to talk about, whether it's campaigns or lobbying or, anybody yeah. or anything else. Yeah. yeah. Especially with you. No one knows me, but they would know you, so it's all good. Well, at the Capitol, we all know each other. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're ca- at the Capitol, you all know each other. That's right. why I explain people like the political world. We're not Texas, okay? I yeah. mean, if you're a political operative in Oklahoma, you know all the other political operatives. Operatives. Sure. We're a pretty small pond yeah. on the grand scheme of things. We're not that big of a state. Yeah. And so we all know each other. Gotcha. And have. Gotcha. Yeah. What are a couple questions you wish people would ask you, but no one ever asked Chad? Man, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> you know, probably some of the things I've already addressed, like what's changed in politics since you've been involved with polarization and, and we've discussed that earlier mm-hmm. how much different it was in the 90s with the young yeah. college republicans the young democrats and and still being friends to this day um i don't i, I see that you know this hatred that, that they have towards each other that and then, like you mentioned you know someone won't date someone based on yeah political beliefs before they yeah. even know anything else about them yep um and the thing is is you know we really have two choices in a presidential election uh, yeah, there's libertarian cancer, but I'm not saying they'll never win. But we have a pretty long stretch of Republican or Democrats being the president. Mm-hmm. So, whoever the nominee is, am I going to agree? Let, take Donald Trump out of it. Sure. So it's Ted Cruz. Am I going to vote Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton? Am I going to vote Ted Cruz or Joe Biden? I mean, whoever the nominee is, I'm going to agree with them more on the functions of government more yeah. than the Democrat nominee at this time. Mm. And the Democrat Party has went, you know, they're having a more of a civil war than I think gets addressed of, mm-hmm. between what I call the classic liberals and the progressives. Mm. And when we talk about the progressives, you're talking about AOC and, and, and that group. Yeah. And... Uh, I think that's why they're having a hard time getting a lot of things through the Senate at 50-50 is trying to keep progressive votes and the classic more moderate center-left Democrats. Sure. You're losing. And I think it's more than just Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Cinema. Yeah. I think yeah. there are several Democrats in swing states that are up for election this year that don't want to vote for a lot of this stuff, but they don't want to get primaried. Mm. And I Joe see. Manchin's not, you know, he's probably the only he is the only democrat that can win in west virginia so you can't scare him he could take all the bullets and yeah. be fine uh but i think there are several in swing states that are glad joe manchin has kept several votes from happening sure yeah and, and i believe that very yeah. very much for sure yeah. for sure uh but <clears throat> you know um i, I think you know if I agree with you 80% of the time politically and 20% of the time I don't agree with you, 
we're not all going to agree all the time. That's right. I mean, my wife and I don't agree on everything. Yeah. And um, well, we, we don't. She's right. She tells me that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stay happily married after this. It's one yeah. Crush Wednesday, right? Okay. <laughs> I got that for you. It's one Crush Wednesday. So she's right. We so my wife and I don't agree all the time. No one does. Uh, you and I are not going to agree on every single political sure. issue if we lay out 100. Does that make you my name? No. Right. Uh, if I agree with you 80% of the time and don't agree with you 20% of the time, but there's somebody I agree with 20% and not 80%, I'm never going to vote for that person because we are talking about government. I yeah. mean, when someone's telling me they're going to raise taxes and put more regulations on things and stop drilling... <laughs> And yeah. make it tougher, you know, on the oil industry. Um, I'm from Oklahoma. No, I'm not going to vote for you. Yeah. yeah. And so why are you going to it, hold it against somebody that uh, voted for somebody else in 2016 because they're not going to vote for Hillary Clinton? I was never mm-hmm. going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of the Republican nominee, I'm going to agree with them more than I agree with Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So yeah. why are you going to, I mean, holding it against people who they support in an election to me is just, yeah. you know, everybody has a vote. That's why your vote's secret. You can get in the ballot booth. You can vote. <laughs> it's up to you. Yeah. No one has to talk about their politics if they don't want to. I mean, right. I don't mind talking about mine. But like I said, I Same. don't. Yeah. I'm still friends. With, like I said, I have a lot of good friends that don't agree with me politically. They're Democrats that voted for Joe Biden, and that's their right. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to get mad at them for it. Yeah. We see the world differently. Yeah, that's true. My boss last year said I was having a conversation with her, not about politics, but about just regulations of oil and gas. And she, so she said, Wong, you sound like President Trump. And I looked at her, I was like, well, thank you. That's a compliment. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <clears throat> Trump, you know, I, I think a lot of, uh, and I hear this from some Republicans. Love his policies, wishes some of the personality wasn't there. Mm. You know, didn't like the Twitter so much, uh, but they do like the policies. Yeah, and he tapped into a nerve that I've never seen. He's a political phenomenon. He's still a political phenomenon to this day. With mm. power he has in the Republican Party, usually if a candidate loses a nomination or loses a general election, they don't have a lot of influence in their party. Right. He still very much is the most influential Republican in the sure. party. He made history. He was the first person who's never served in the military, held public office, and won the White House. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anything like it. My wife was on to it before I was. She went. To, she was like the fourth or fifth hire for the Trump campaign because he came to Oklahoma, and then she became state director for Oklahoma and Arkansas, and then the battleground director, and it just went from there. She got on to it before I did, but. <clears throat> Even Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, great orators, great, I mean, motivators, mm. Obama. Seeing people show up 24 hours before an event, putting up tents and sleeping on concrete to get in, 22,000, 30,000 people showing up at rallies. Yeah. I I had it in my gut Donald Trump was going to win the 2016 election. Three or four days before the vote, he did a rally in Virginia which he ultimately didn't carry. But it was, or no, it was actually Pennsylvania, which I usually ended up carrying. But it's like 11.30 my hard time. So that's like 12.30 in Pennsylvania, a.m. <laughs> Place is, I mean, and I'm, but the thing is I'm watching it on Facebook. There's 140,000 people watching. Dang. And I've just, 
I've never seen anybody. He tapped in to a very angry electorate of the working class. Yeah. That had traditionally voted Democrats. Yeah. Union leaders and money may have been going for Hillary Clinton. Right. But the voters weren't. That's true. The union voters weren't. That's true. Union voters liked what they were hearing. Yeah. Talking about manufacturing in America, bringing manufacturing back to America. Yeah. They liked that. Yeah. And I say to people, you know, what was Hillary Clinton's slogan? I'm with her. What would Donald Trump slogan? Yeah. Make America great again. Right. Make America great again says something to people. I'm with her just says, I'm with her. Yeah. Yeah. Make America great again. I mean, <clears throat> he's phenomenal at branding and marketing. I mean, he's Donald Trump. He's been marketing and branding himself his whole life. I mean, everybody knew Donald Trump was in the 1980s. Uh, yeah. I mean, really universal name ID. But <clears throat> he's great at branding and branding other people. Uh, he branded his opponents quite well. I mean, he took on the most qualified field that had ever ran. Mm-hmm. And his first and only run for office as a rookie. Yeah. And won. Yeah. And then beat Hillary Clinton. And the Clintons are still probably the most powerful family in the Democrat Party. Yeah. True. I mean, kind of an icon of the Democrat Party gets beat by a guy that's never ran for office before. That's true. But he tapped in to how the emotions of those voters and independent voters and those Rust Belt voters were feeling and delivered. And he really did deliver. And, I mean, if you look at his record... Excuse me, my voice is getting dry. Oh, I talk so much during the day between <laughs> lobbying and radio. Yeah. I start losing my voice sometimes on radio when I hit that fifth hour. Yeah. <laughs> but what he tapped into, I think, was just a phenomenon. Like I said, I mean, you could have some pretty big-name bands give a concert for free, and they're not going to have people show up 24 hours early sleeping on a tent to get in. Yeah. And this guy's just giving a speech run for president. And mm-hmm. that's – you knew they were going to show up. Yeah, you knew they were going to vote, and they did. It, yeah, they did. I number one, I don't have a problem with his uh, tweets or his Twitter. Um, I actually miss him. And then I remember you'll like this. In 2016, I was standing in line church, six o'clock in the morning, and my wife, well, she, at the time she was my fiance, and I had my black suit on, white shirt, red power tie. And she's like, so what are you thinking today? I was like, I'm here to make America great again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and and I think, uh, you know, with, with his Twitter, I mean, the thing is, they were going to dissect everything he said so much yeah. in the mainstream media sure. that um, there, there was no way he could do it right. <laughs> okay. They never expected him to beat Hillary Clinton. They were shocked on election night. If you go back and watch the video, oh. the clips of the splices of them on election night when they start calling states, when they start realizing it's real, <laughs> Donald Trump is the president-elect, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager comes out and speaks. She's yeah. going to speak in the morning. Everybody knows what that means. Yep. The journalists, the reporters, all the, And you see on that, when the reality that Donald Trump was going to win and be the president-elect, and they actually realized... This just happened. He is the 45th president of the United States. <laughs> it was a total shift in how the media treated him. Yeah. From that moment on, You're right. it changed. You're right. They did not treat him before like mm. they treated him after they realized he was president-elect. That's true. And They were hoping he would 
run in 2016 because they didn't had they thought he had no chance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think they wanted to be the nominee because they thought yeah. he had no chance. Yeah. And they picked the strongest candidate. And I thought and <laughs> I saw that in the primaries. If you looked at closed primary states, Ted Cruz won a couple of those. Yep. But Trump won some of the closed primaries too, in fairness. Mm-hmm. Open primary states. Ted Cruz didn't win one open primary state. If independents and Democrats could vote in the primary, Trump won. Yeah. And that tells me who the best nominee is because he's pulling votes from independents and Democrats. Yeah. That but, tells me that he was the he was the, he was the stronger of the true. Two. True. And so I think that they miscalculated. Uh, yeah. I think they helped propel him in the primary and then didn't realize that they couldn't stop him in the general. Yeah. I I think President Trump has to in my the way I look at it, he's got he's had a very positive effect on even the Republican Party because I see Ted Cruz now with more of a Trump attitude in his tweets, in his speeches, mm-hmm. the way he talks. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's an interesting thing though. Um historically, every president really has a different coalition. Mm. We talk about the Roosevelt coalition. We'll talk about the Nixon, you know, coalition, yeah. um, Reagan coalition. Every uh, <clears throat> every president usually, you know, has has their own coalition. And uh, Biden's really was just anti-Trump. It just not to be Donald Trump. I mean, mm. you know, he he didn't do Biden didn't do a lot of interviews. He didn't do a lot of campaign appearances. Um, it was keep the, and I, that was strategic. Keep all the focus on Donald Trump. We just make it negative on Donald Trump. Yep. You know everything negative on Donald Trump. Mm. But Trump had his own coalition, and I think people will try to replicate that. Um, <clears throat> when Trump either doesn't or can't run, if uh, like let's say he runs and he loses and he and he's gone, or he runs and wins, he can't run again. I would not try to mimic his coalition. I would try to look and do what he did. Tap into what you see that's going on mm. out there. Don't try to copy Donald Trump. Right. Build your own coalition. I like and tap it. Into the, tap into the issues of the day because issues change. You can't run on the 2016 Donald Trump platform True. in 2020. Yeah. yeah. Eight. 28. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. It's not. You can't. And, and you shouldn't. No. And you shouldn't. I mean, only Trump's going to be able to, to, to run his coalition. And so <clears throat> that's what I would be thinking of is, okay, well, you know, Trump tapped into something. There, there's always issues out there. You know, what groups can, you know, what issues affect enough of these groups that are coming our way? And you, I think the Democrats miscalculated over the years, and they're writing a lot about it now, of they just took for granted a lot of the Hispanic vote, the Asian vote, mm. the African-American vote. You know, the, the, as those coalitions, populations grew, they were going to win. What they didn't count on was a lot of ways they went so far left, they have really left the Hispanic vote. And you saw Donald Trump, I mean, places Hillary Clinton be like 75 to 25 in 2016 against Joe Biden. He lost 52-48, yeah. or he won yep. 54-46. I mean, that's a 50-point shift. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I, that, you know, a lot of the Hispanics that have come here, um, whether it's uh, you know from Cuba, from, from Puerto Rico, um, um, Venezuela, Mm-hmm. They're getting away from socialism. Yeah. That's so right. when you got Bernie Sanders and them, I start talking about socialism. They they came here to get away from that. Yeah. They they came here 
to live the American dream. Sure. They came here for that economic opportunity. You, I mean, you're telling them I don't want your vote when you use that word. That's true. My, my parents were on a boat for 33 days fleeing Vietnam, communist country. That t- got taken over by communists right. and got rescued by Americans here in refugee camp. So, yeah. Yeah. They, my parents understand it, seen it firsthand. Yeah. Lived it. And so, you know, when, <laughs> when, when you see polls of, of millennials that think, you know, uh, it's closer that you know socialism is better than capitalism what would your parents say to that oh man they yeah. <laughs> you probably don't have that discussion with my, yeah, my dad that's what mom. i'm saying and so uh i think they saw demographics as an advantage <laughs> they realized that um uh values matter issues matter yeah and uh, Trump was tapping into issues. You had, sure. and under Trump, you had the lowest African American unemployment rates as we've been tracking it, the lowest yeah. female unemployment rates as we've been tracking it, lowest Hispanic unemployment rates as we've been tracking it, highest African American wages as we've been tracking it, higher Hispanic wages as we've been tracking it, highest wages for women. Everybody was doing better. I mean, yeah. people can like me or saying it or not like me or saying it, but the facts are the facts. As the Bureau of Labor Statistics started putting this stuff together, those are the numbers they released. Yeah. And that showed in the 2020 election with the Hispanic Latino turnout. Even if you look at African American males under 35, Donald Trump did much better than a Republican normally would ever do. Yeah, I mean, you can go even look at the energy sector. Oh yeah, American energy independence. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, "Man, Wong, don't you want oil at $89 a barrel?" It's like that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. No. Right, because then we start spending too much. We put holes in the ground. We start oversupplying. Demand's yeah. not going to be there. Jobs are lost. They go in circles. I mean, Oklahoma. Ways. How many times have we seen this in Oklahoma? Uh, everything's great. When oil's at a hundred dollars a barrel, for, you know, for the economy, except for our gas price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, but we have obviously, you know, it's top industry in the state. But uh, we also see when oil's at twenty nine dollars a barrel. Mm-hmm. And jobs start shedding, and 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 things like that. Yeah, and uh, uh, that's one thing about Oklahoma. We've always talked about it, and it being a goal of several administrations, and we have we've diversified our economy a lot yeah. uh, from where we were in the '80s. But we need to continue to. Yeah, because when you're relying on a commodity that can swing from 29 to 120 yep. in a year, yep, in a year, yep, changes things drastically. Drastically. <laughs> And so, I mean, those are all relevant issues. Yeah. 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 How does uh, Chad Alexander want to be remembered? Good man. Honest. Uh, even if he was on the other side, uh, had integrity. Now, I mean, I'm coming to win. I, I don't play to lose uh, yeah. at all. And uh, this is politics. It's not beanbag. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you better you can't be thin skinned and do yeah. this business. Yeah. So uh, don't misinterpret when I say that you know I'm you know I'm the nice guy. But it's to me it's not personal. It is about ideology. It's about debate. It's about issues. And you know in any competition you got to bring it. I don't care if you're mm-hmm. a golfer. I don't care if it's football. I don't care if it's. Uh, Wall Street. I mean, yeah. you got to bring the heat if you want to be good at what you do. Sure, you got to bring the passion. You got to bring the fire. I love it. And campaigns fire me up. The competitions. 
Uh, yeah. I don't really consider campaigns work. Um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, sitting around strategizing. Um, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, that that's fun. You know, lobbying's work. I mean, you got to really work at the Capitol. That, that yeah. that's that's work. Uh, radio is somewhat my therapy. <laughs> is it? But yeah, because I love talking to everyday people about stuff. And yeah, you know, <clears throat> I, I always say on radio show, my wheelhouse is politics. Okay, I mean, yeah, don't ask me for medical advice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife doesn't even allow me to touch the toolbox at home. I'm literally not allowed to touch the tools. Wow, my wife's better fixing stuff than I am. Like, don't touch anything. Okay, <laughs> okay. And she'll be like, "Honey, you're really good at politics. <laughs> yeah, stay in that lane. Stay in your lane." Um, <laughs> But I like, I love it when people call and ask and ask questions. That are, and, I, and I say, I think I have a smart audience where I get some really, really, really good questions. Mm. And I like being able to kind of break down how the process works for people and why people are doing the things they're doing, whether yeah. it's campaign, whether it's uh, the legislative process, yeah. whether it's uh, the federal process, constitutional issues. I love talking to that with everyday people that have other jobs and other lives, but they're active citizens. They want to be engaged. Yeah. There's only so many hours in a day. They don't do this for a living for 28 years like I have. Right. So I feel like that's just fun. And I mean, um, uh, when I, you know, I, I give speeches, I do, you know, non for profits and things like that. But if you ask me, my favorites to speak to are high school and college students. Yeah. I love the questions from high school to college students and the civic engagement. Mm-hmm. And every time I do it, it gives me hope for the future. Yeah, that's uh, right. It does. Because you right. see really brilliant minds. You see really good questions. I'm like, hey, you're asking me that at 16. Or you're asking me that at 21. Man, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, young lady, that's, that's impressive, young lady. Yeah. You, got, you got a future. Yeah. Um, that, for me, is fun. And so when I say I want to be remembered as just... Uh, Doing, you know, being really, really good at what I do, uh, one of the best, and uh, but doing it with integrity and doing it the right way, and still being a good man. Yeah. Um, look, uh, I could, you know, I could, I could be on a campaign that's against you. I'm gonna do everything we can to win. Uh, if we lose, I'm still gonna respect you. If we win, I'm still gonna respect you. Mm-hmm. I'm still gonna treat you with respect as a person, and it's not personal. Yeah. It's just business. That's awesome. Yeah. Chad Alexander, KOKC. Yeah. 95.3 on the FM station and then uh, 15.20 a.m. Yes, sir. On your drive home, 4 to 6 for me. Yes, 4 to 6, get Monday through Friday. Yeah. Uh, occasionally right now I have to miss on Thursdays because yeah. my committee, where most of my bills are meet on Thursday yeah. afternoons. So occasionally I have to miss on a Thursday. And then occasionally I have to get away, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's true. Take that middle break. That's and, true. Uh, and then... Uh, Sometimes I just uh, want to be with that 13-year-old girl and my other kids and my wife. And, and you know, people see the public side of you yeah. when you're in the public mm-hmm. view. Still a dad. Yeah. Son. Husband. You know. That's awesome. I'm just a person. Love it, man. You know, uh, everybody goes to their jobs, but they know that there's much more in their lives than their jobs. Yeah. Uh, there's more to my life than my jobs. It's true. Uh, you know, if I found out today that I had a month to live, I, I'd spend it with my family, not at the Capitol or a radio station or, you know, I, I'd want to be with my family and friends. Yeah. And I don't ever lose sight of that. Yeah. Not ever lose sight of that. That's awesome. Do you dress like this when you do your radio shows? Shirt, tie, suit? 
most of the time. Most of the time. That's awesome. Um, I've been wearing suits when I was 20 years old, yeah. basically. Uh, I've been to football games, basketball games, uh, dramas, plays, um, kids. Of it. I, I'm as comfortable in a suit as I'm pajamas at this point in my life. I'm I like it. Because I've, I've been to movies, dates. I mean, sometimes you have time to go change, uh, to get right. to your kids' stuff. Yeah. So That's great. Yeah, I'm just kind of used to it. Um, yeah. I mean, summers, but, uh, no, not so much. If I'm just doing radio and I'm not going to the capital of summers, when it's 100 degrees, man, I'm, I'm not suiting it up. I think we'll have a universal rule that khakis and short sleeve shirts work for summers as okay. business fire. That's awesome. <laughs> and how do our listeners get in touch with you on social media? Uh, I'm at Chad Alexander, the number two on Twitter, at oh. Chad Alexander, the number two. Um, do not direct message at chad alexander he's a musician from dallas and hates it if you disagree with me politically and direct message him yeah yeah <laughs> that's how i found out who he was <laughs> and so you could redirect people be like you're looking for at chad alexander too two, yeah. so it's at chad alexander the number two uh on twitter and then on facebook is chad alexander and then the kokc facebook page right. obviously yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's how we met through Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you guys were doing a lot of positive things, and like I said, uh, in the mega world, when you see people doing positive things, I'm drawn yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. It makes things makes life a lot better to be around positive people. That's great. Well, thank you for giving us the opportunity to sit in here and chat with you for about an hour or so and Man, hear about your story, your life, and it's my pleasure. Yeah, I. Uh, I very, very, very much enjoy it. Like I said, I'm always usually interviewing other people and yeah. things like that. So uh, I rarely talk about myself and my history. So <laughs> I, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right. I appreciate you, man. You got it. We appreciate your support to Defining Moments Podcast. A good friend of mine once told me the best one out there is the one having the most fun. And he's exactly right. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're having the most fun. Why? Because we can and we want to. Find us on social media, Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. On Instagram, Facebook at Defining Moments Podcast. Take us on the go from iHeartRadio to Spotify, all the way to YouTube. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Check out our swag at DefiningMomentsPod.com. We have a merchandise store. A lot of great stuff. Follow us on social media. We love to do giveaways. Why? Because we're undefeated. Have a good day.